The Story in Your Head, Episode 6, Creating Space for Followers. Welcome. Today's topic is around followership. So leadership is really important. However, followers are even more important. So Ron, how do you see a leader? How is that person able to create a space for followers to even join? Great question, Michelle. So the mechanics that I found most useful for me is as a leader, or when I'm holding the role of leader, I am always creating a space. So first question is, what is a space so that somebody can follow you? Like, what does that, you know, what does that mean? Creating a space, right? So when I hold that is like, imagine like there's a, a crowded room, right? And then the leader actually can like open up the room to where there's somebody, where somebody could step into that space. Like there's an opening there. It's a safe space. They can step into it. They, they want to step into it because it looks like a good place for them. They also see that it's, it's, there's, there's an opening. Like they can actually move into that space. But without that space, they can't follow, right? And without that space that makes it takes care of them while it's taking care of others, they, they won't step into it. Like it, it'll look too scary. So it's a little fuzzy, like how you create space, like what is space? But I have several examples where, when we create space, it's very easy for people to step into that space and follow you. One of my favorite examples, and it has a lot of like my own uh, psychology, like was my, my combatant in the middle of this example. We had a situation back when I worked at Siemens where we were in a hiring freeze. Like we couldn't hire any more people. And we were doing all these works and the, the demand was going up. And we would go out and put labor on a job, but put also our engineers and a few technicians and then bring labor in from either union or non-union labor. Well, what happened was, is the demand was going up, but we were in a hiring freeze from the corporate headquarters in that space. Like, no, not going to do this. We're not going to hire any more people. And what we got down to the point where we had not even having two people on a job site and a bunch of labor. So people who didn't know what they were doing and not even two people could go out and do that. There could be down enough people. There weren't enough people to do it. And the, and the demand was growing. So I was in a space of like going, like, like I actually went to a job site and I, I met one of the technicians that was on the job site. And I won't share his name, but he was stressed out, like on the edge because he had like two units open, two big turbines open, and trying to keep track of all the stuff that was going on. And he just couldn't do it. Like there's just no way. And he was felt responsible at the same time, there was no way because we created a situation where he couldn't do that. And so I made the announcement that we're never going to have a job that doesn't have two people on the job on any shift. Just period. That's it. And, of course, my manager called me and said, you, you, you can't do that. You have to actually man every job. And I go, no, I'm going to do that because we're going to kill somebody or we're going to hurt something and we're, we can't do that. And, well, we had a conversation and it was kind of, I left it that it's either I'm going to do it this way or I'm going to start, I'm going to leave the company and go do another job. He goes, no, don't get up. Don't get upset like that. I'm not upset. It's just, this is my stand. Like I won't put people out there like that. Now my own psychology was how, you know, all I could do with my manager and the corporate policies and all that stuff. Right. 
But inside there, I was going like, how do you be a leader for your team? Right? And then the second question is, who are you leading? So for me, I started out with leading my own team members so that they knew, like the, the technicians and the engineers knew that we would never abandon them on a job site to where they would be out there by themselves. Right? That, that was our stand. Right? And then we had to go to our customers and say, and if you have a job and it's in this window or this time frame, we're only going to be able to do half of you. And, and, and they, they like to freak out a little bit because they're going like, oh, wait, I, my turbine has to come down this window. You can't do the work. And I go, no, I, I can't do the work. So they're calling the executives in the company and they're doing what they can because they're doing like they want it. They want us to come to their job site. And when we did this, like what, what we noticed was quality went up. Safety or how you look at safety, safety goes down because no incidents or up because it's safe work. Profitability went up, right? Because we're only doing jobs that we can actually manage properly. And we're actually being able to fulfill on the customer's requirements. So they're getting it done faster. We're making more money and everything's higher quality, less rework, and it's a safer job. Now I, I could have gotten into place and there were times when I kept going like, why would, you know, why are they doing this to us in the space? Like, why are they not giving us the people we need? And instead I held a stand that said, I'll create space for everybody to follow what we're doing. Cause it's, it wasn't just like it was the Laurent's little group that was doing this. It was across the entire industry that was this way. And how can we be a space to do that? And the space we created was we didn't threaten anybody. We didn't set blame anybody. We didn't do anything else except for we said, we're going to take care of our people. That's just what, that's our stand. And it was probably about eight months later where the same group of people who said, we will not give you any more people made an announcement at one of the big utility user groups where they said the the best thing we've ever done was when we started to turn down work because that gave us a chance to do the work in a way that that represented the quality of what we believed in. And it's helped our people retention. It's helped our financial profitability. And it's enabled us to take care of our customers better. And we actually started to be able to hire. Now, when I created this space that was called Space for People to Step Into and Follow, I didn't originally think it would be my boss and their supervisors who would follow us. I thought it would be like who we were fighting with. But we created the space for everybody and anybody who wanted to follow what we're doing to step into that. We had a stand. We knew what we what we would do, what wouldn't do, and might do. And what I noticed was before long, the entire organization was following us. And like I was fine with that. I was going like, what matters is, is that we can hire people. What matters is we can take care of our customers. What matters is we can take care of our people. And so that they're home safe, back to their families. So when I say we create space, that's an opening for anybody who wants to follow can. And that's, I see it, I notice it differently than telling people what to do. Yeah, so thanks, Ron. There's a, there's a lot there. I've got a, a few questions in here, but I'll, I'll start with space, right? And you started to define that. So space isn't physical. It's a narrative. It's created in language. Did, did I hear that correctly? Yes, that's correct. In some ways, space is nothing, right? And you you created everything's out of it. Now you have space because there's nothing there and a story about nothing. 
Yeah, I got to think about that one. A story about nothing. The space that you created really had a foundation on your stand, right? To take care of employees. Right. Is it always that way? Is my stand always that way? Or are oh, all like creating standing? the space, creating a space for followers? Well, for me, that is, that is a part of my stand, right? Is to create space so that people can live a good life. Right? And that's a part of it is designing it so that the space exists when they step in, they can produce a good life for themselves and for others. Did I answer that? Yeah. It's one of those things you got to think about a little bit, right? Because space right there is a, is a challenging word. And to say that the space we create is in language and to create space for followers, one of the foundations, I'll call it that, is your stand, right? And your stand helps you to create the language to create a space for people to follow you. So example that you gave is the space of helping every employee live a good life, right? That's a stand. I don't think I can think of anybody that they wouldn't like that, right? That seems pretty good to anybody. Yeah, I'm going to go join somebody that can help me live the life that I want to. So that's a space that somebody can then go into. But you need to create that in language. Yeah. So thanks, Michelle. For those of you who may be listening to that, what does it mean when we create it in language? It's just a story. But it's a story that we speak out loud, a story we write about. It's just a simple story. That, and the story is everybody here needs to be able to live a good life. And we create that space for everybody to live a good life. Yeah, thanks. A story that others can hear. Yeah. Wonderful. So one of the things that I was surprised by your story, sure, I could see, right, everybody here live a good life. The employees, you're taking care of them, you're keeping them safe, which is wonderful. But what I heard at the end was your management team senior managers and maybe even people in the industry started to follow that. Did I hear that correctly? That's correct. Was that an expectation of yours? And no. how did you discover that one? No, it was a surprise as in it wasn't our intent to create space for them to follow us. Our stand was to create space that, that people could follow if they chose. What we didn't know was would their ego right, or their authority cause them not to be able to notice the difference. Right? And we believe that the financial results, the safety results, the all the things that people measured us by would speak for it. We didn't know that they would use that as a space to say, yeah, we need, we need to be hiring more people. We need to be doing things to, to do this. And this is a stand now across the company is like, we won't send people to a job if we don't have enough resources. Yeah, thanks. So when I think of followers, I immediately go to employees. It's just my natural thing. Mm -hmm. But what you opened for me is that a follower, I, I had to narrow up a definition, right? A follower is pretty broad. It can be your managers. It could be industry. It can be all sorts of people. So when you think about that, it also makes me think, when am I a follower? Right. So, yes, I have employees that follow me, but are there times where I follow them? Are, are there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because a lot of employees, they're living those roles day to day. They know it a lot better than I do. And absolutely. I never really thought as much about manager or even industry leaders 
And what a almost honor that is for them to follow you. So th- this goes into what we talk about in the fifth industrial revolution or self-led teams. And that is fundamentally, everybody is looking for a leader. Everybody is always looking for who can I follow? The people who are not only closest to the work, who you know actually either have their hands on it or are making most of the design decisions or most of the work, they're going to have the best insights into how to work with it. And when you move to being a self-led team, right? Whoever is the leader is whoever has the gift that can lead. Which means at any moment it could be any person on that team. And the shift from I'm the manager and you're the employee to we're a group of people who the leader is whoever has that role in the moment who could do the best job for all of us is a complete shift in that space. And I'm real clear that in most of the jobs that I've held, I didn't know how the job had to be implemented. Like my focus was on the leadership part of it, like getting people in a place where they can do the work they need to do. And then I follow them because they, they know more than I do about it. I've been in all kinds of industries that I had no idea how to code or how to do internet sales or how to manufacture or how to machine or how to weld or uh, all those different discourses. But I followed those people who did and I acknowledge them for their skills. Like that's a, that's an ethic of mine. But I think as a, as we move to self-led teams, being able to be the leader and the follower in the same hour, it's going to be a skill that's going, it's going to become more valuable. So when we talk about the skill of self-led teams, I, I, I totally agree. I've worked on projects on assembly lines. One of the roles I had was automating an assembly line. And we thought we knew what we were doing, right? We come with all this technology and we were, little bottles are going down. We're checking the label to see if it's straight. And if it wasn't straight, a little, little puff of air would come across and shoot the bottle into this bucket. That, that was the theory. We get out to the assembly line. It turns out assembly lines shake a little bit. And with that shaking messes up the computer just enough to think that every label is not straight. And the little puff of air ended up being 90 PSI. For those of you that may not know, that's a lot for something that weighs like a quarter of an ounce and would shoot the damn thing across the room and dent the door, right? So we're like, all right. <laughs> This is not working. And of course, everybody that was working on the assembly line, we had to stop it. We're looking at us also laughing. So we turned around and said, what do we do? Right? We had no idea what to do. I mean, things were getting caught in the screw and oh, it was like a terrible mess. I can't imagine how much product we wasted that day. And they actually helped us with the line to smooth it out. They're taking out wrenches and doing all sorts of things and helping to dial down the, the PSI so it's something that drops into a bucket. And we kind of got it to work. In the end, it turns out that computers actually cannot do that job better than a human. They judge much faster, and we abandoned the whole thing. But it was a real lesson for me. Number one, I was grateful, because we're from corporate, we're here to help, right? That they stopped after they got done laughing at us, and I was glad we could make them laugh for a day. They helped us, and we got as close as we could and determined, no, we're just not going to be able to do it. But I was grateful for their help that day. And I learned more about assembly lines on that day than ever and made a couple of good friends. Michelle, if you were, now that you've, like you're past that, you know, you're looking back at it. But if you, if you could go back and have a conversation with yourself 
two weeks before you that, that situation happened, knowing what you know today, what would you share with yourself? How would you lead yourself into that conversation? Well, number one, I wouldn't have designed it, then brought it to the assembly line to see if it worked, <laughs> right? I would have started right at the assembly line to say, this is what we're thinking. What do you think? And we may have decided right then and there, it wasn't going to work for various reasons. And just think of the effort that was saved in doing that whole thing, right? And what kind of followed up is the employees that were working on that line figured other efficiencies that they could do among themselves to actually beat it again, right? Because we listened to them. It's like, hey, you know, we can take some things back and, and learn from it. But that one team on that one assembly line started to realize that they could make some adjustments because it was like a game now, right? Can I beat the computer? And they had a good time with it and they did. And that was later implemented in other roles. And we never thought about automating that line again. Next question. What would it have been like for the person on the line if you had come in a month before or two months before and say, here's what we're thinking, but we value your experience and your knowledge. What do you see in this? How would that have shown up for him or her at that moment differently than what yeah, it was now? Uh, sure. So I'll, I'll just go back. So we did show up. The one thing that did occur to me is we are a major threat right? We're coming here to automate the line. And that usually means less people on the line. So that's why I was so grateful when we did realize things weren't working, that they were willing to work with us, right? Because they could have just said, let them totally mess up and we're not going to make this any better. But they, they were really good. If we went ahead of time, a month or two months, or even when it was initially done, even six months earlier, I think at first they would have looked at us kind of like, huh, you want my thoughts? Because I don't think that's pretty common, right? Because it's union employees versus corporate headquarters. But I know they would have helped, right? And they would have thought about it. And probably right then and there, I'm speculating because I don't know, they probably would have thought about how to optimize themselves at that point, right? Without even the computers knowing that, okay, let's see what we can do, make it a game or whatever works for them. But it definitely made them feel valued, right? And I valued them to be able to help us to work through that line and those problems. So the difference is instead of coming in with a solution, you come in with a problem and then figure out what is the right solution to that using the input of people that actually know the work, whatever that might be. How would you use the distinction of creating space for followers in that scenario? So what closed down space was we're from corporate, we're here to help, we're going to automate this line and happy you will be gone, right? That is the opposite of creating space. So creating space is, again, your stand, right? We're here to help every person live a good life. We're looking at making optimization on the line. How can we do this better? And leaving it open, right? And questioning and helping them because the way they figured it out, we did eliminate a person on a roll but then what we did is looked at all the assembly lines and readjusted things so nobody lost a job, right? It just got reallocated to something different and worked through it. And so that was creating the space in that this is the outcome we wanted and to have them help us figure out how to have that be done in whatever way, right? With total freedom to create whatever works for them and whatever they could help us with. That's great. 
thanks for sharing the story. Do you have any other questions? No, I, I guess the the one question just with Industrial Revolution Five, right? We we talked about sort of employees and that they at times can be a leader, right? And they may have never thought that in the in the traditional roles, like an assembly line. Mm-hmm. So that's one is for them to for anybody in those roles to realize that they can be a leader. And then also, though, for current management, that they can be a follower. And so when you look at the traditional change, I'm going to call it, or flow of follower to leader, follower to leader, what do you think is the main characteristic or thinking that a person needs to hold to be able to flow like that so seamlessly? So I, two of them come to mind, and they, they go together and maybe in an odd way. The first one is to be vulnerable, which means there's all kinds of traditions, everything from one of my least favorite, but most I learned it a long time ago, is I, I'm here from the neck down, which means I'm here, you tell me what to do, my body will do it, but I'm not going to have input on the decisions. And to say what you know is the possibility of being right, the, like the action to take, the how to create something, takes a certain amount of vulnerability to say, this is what I think, right? Because you could be wrong, right? And the courage to accept others' ideas as well as the vulnerability to say, I think the best answer comes from the person over there who, who does not have the role of being manager or leader, or director, or whatever title they have. So I think vulnerability and courage go together in a world that says, then anybody can lead and anybody can follow at any time. Without those two distinctions, it's going to be a challenge to work as a self-led team. Because you're going to, people may have a story that, well, I'm the leader, I I tell them what to do, or, no, no, you're the leader, and you'll tell me what to do. And both of those end up in a place where you're not bringing everybody's gifts into the organization. And that's really the goal of a self-led team is whoever is the best gift, best athlete, best whatever metaphor you want to use, they bring that to the game and then the ability for the whole team goes up when everybody is open to bring their gift and everybody is open to accepting others' gifts. Yeah, so what I heard from that is that courage and vulnerability without it, organizations can get pretty stagnant, right? Because they don't change because it's really one person. Mm-hmm. Where when it's opened up to everybody, the creativity has to be through the roof because now you have so many more minds being able to create what you need. What, what you need it beforehand, but what I, what I find shows up is dignity, right? In the space where people now can be in a world that, they can watch people do things going like, yeah, I, I know how to do it, and they're not doing it the way it needs to be done, and it's going to wreck. And then they go, oh, there it is. See the wreck? Where they go home with a worry that they could have prevented it, but they didn't feel they had the role to do that. And that's not a fun place to be. It's not a good life. It's not a rewarding life. But going into work and seeing something, and you offer your leadership, and it's accepted, and it goes well, right? Then people will go home feeling rewarded from the job and look forward to coming back in tomorrow versus going home and going dreading coming back in tomorrow because you're going to know they're going to screw it up again. And that's a, 
a shift in what the outcomes will be for people as you move into self-led teams is they're going to look forward to coming into work, excited, being a part of the team. Thanks, Ron. That sounds like a great place to be. And I know it's begun. It is. It is. And it is. And it has begun. Well, thanks, Michelle. Thank you, Ron. Thank you all for listening today. Please take a moment to subscribe to the story in your head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Thank you all, and we'll see you next time. Bye.